The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Acts 20, 7 through 11. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, "'Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him.' And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Audra. Hi, my name's Stacy Croft. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row. If I haven't met you, or if I have, uh, I'd love to grab some time with you and uh, get to know your story and help you plug further into the life of our church and uh, even our city if you're new to it. Um, you know, one of my favorite shows, maybe one of yours, uh, was Seinfeld. Um, it was a show that touted its um, ability to make a show about nothing, literally nothing. In fact, it made fun of itself in the show about taking a, a show to NBC, and uh, one of the characters says, hey, I got an idea. We're going to go to NBC. We're going to tell them we have a show about nothing. And like, what did you do today? Well, I went to the bank, went to here, woke up, drove to work, no, no, no. There's the show, you know, it's just like, that's what it was. And it was kind of dumb. It was all the idiosyncrasies of life that were just blown up and out of proportion. It was the space in between, not the things that actually happen when you're there, but the space in between. And that's where it happened. You know, we're reading this passage and we're reading a book of Acts and we're going through a book and, and, and a book that was written by Luke, uh, who wrote two volumes. He wrote uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and Acts as a, a complementary to it. And Acts is really how the church began to grow from this small thing out into the world and, and captivate it, change it. And this passage in particular, which we read, and if you read Luke's writing and how he writes in Greek, the way he writes is very uh, uh, complex. <laughs> Uh, in fact, in this passage, the, the Greek and the way he writes is somewhat humorous. He's trying to draw out the humor of something here. And he actually is doing it and he's saying, look, there's a worship service, but what happens in the space in between? And it focuses on this strange passage about a, 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 a youth, a kid, and whose name actually is translated lucky. That's not a joke. His name is Lucky, who falls out of a window listening to a sermon that's too long, and he's brought back to life. And that's this passage. That's what we're looking at. And you're looking at me like, really? That's the space in between. The beauty of the genius and the genius behind what Luke is wanting us to see is not only that this actually happened, because in fact, 
many times Luke was an interviewer. If you begin the, the, the Gospel of Luke or even Acts, it talks about how Luke gathered history. He went and spoke to people, even the mother of Jesus, Mary, and, and others, many others. But there are events also where he was at, and the pronouns in this particular passage tell us that Luke was in the room, and Luke was a doctor, and he was an interviewer and a historian, and he was taking in the moment. And he writes of a story of a worship service before Paul is about to leave, and why add this in? (laughs) Because he wants us to know a specific thing about what the church is based on and what the church is about. And those are the two things we're going to look at. We're going to look in this brief passage. We're going to look at what what happens when the church meets. And we're going to look at what is the church about? What's the church about? What, What happens when it meets? And what is the church about? You know, when the church meets, and it begins here, it just kind of gives us a little detail of when they're meeting. And from time to time, it's interesting. I'll, I'll sit with people Typically, I remember this phrase from a lot of uh, folks who are graduating seminary, but they'll, they'll say this when they're exasperated from things about the church. They'll say, you know, we just need to go back to the first century church. They'll just read the gospel of Acts and they'll say, can we just go back? And maybe some of you, and I know I've probably said this a number of times, can we just go back? I mean, it's kind of like Uncle Rico and, and Napoleon. Can we just go back? If we could just go back, you know. But, but we're looking at... at the first century church and trying to compare it to the 21st century church. And there's a lot of space in between there. And the majority of of the time when people make that comment, and maybe you've felt that, like, gosh, we just need to get back to the first century church. It's because we may be exasperated or, or have difficulties with what's going on in the 21st century church, but we're missing that in the first century church, there were issues similar. And yet they had different things and the reasons they had to meet and why they had to meet, and where. So this passage is not necessarily prescriptive for where we're supposed to go, that we need to start meeting in, in upper rooms or house churches, uh, and that there's a reason we're going to dive into that a little bit with oil lamps and those kind of things. But it is descriptive of what we're to look at and say, what? how do we meet? What do we do when we meet? It begins even with this. It says how they gather On the first day of the week, when we were gathered, notice the we, together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, can you imagine if I started now until midnight? Now, we'll go there in a second, but I will not be that long. Uh, It's a two-point sermon, not an all-night sermon. But their gathering was marked on the first day of the week. Now... Luke wants you to know something here when he says that. He's not just saying this for, for you know, stated purpose. He's wanting you to know first that they gathered, and the, the we, the pronoun, to say he was there, he knows. They gathered on the first day of the week. This is when the event happened, okay? So it is a marker in time and date and space, but it's also something else. He's saying we gathered on the first day of the week. Now, the first day of the week that they would be speaking of was a Sunday. Saturday was the end of the week, Typical worship of the Jewish calendar was at the end of the week. It was Saturday. So when they would meet in the temple, when they would think about that, they would meet on a Saturday. But now they started gathering on the first day of the week. And this is not just the first time it says this in the book of Acts. This is a repetitive phrase. 
in the book of Acts, when they begin to, began to meet, the church, the gathered ones, the called out ones, the way, as they were called, as we saw last week, they were called the way. Now, they weren't called Christians yet. They were called the way, meaning after the way of Jesus. They began to meet on the first day of the week. Why would they meet on a Sunday? Why move from a Saturday when they typically did to a Sunday? Well, if you look at the reason why, you think for a moment, and you look at back in the Gospels, what are they patterning their worship after? When Jesus rose from the dead. It says over and over in the Gospels that Jesus rises from the dead on the first day of the week. Right? And it means a Sunday. And, and what they're doing is they're beginning to shift their day of worship from a Saturday to a Sunday to pattern their worship after the resurrection event. Here, I've said this before and here before, and I, but I want to reiterate this. One of the key differences of what Christianity is here, the way, what, what, what they're, they're showing us here and what it means for us to follow Christ is that the events drive the teachings. The events of the of Christian drive, it wasn't a word that came to them. It wasn't, as, as you may see in other uh, religions or philosophies or thought, where some ideas, uh, letters, things came. The, the, the worship was patterned after the event and historical purpose of the resurrection. The event drove the worship. And it began to change and transform the way. Now think about them when they gathered in this way to, to celebrate, to be together. Now, Easter in our calendar, we, we typically think of this uh, in our calendar of Resurrection Sunday. Well, that's in usually March or April or whenever you know, that date is selected, which is kind of funny. Now, you may not have known this, but we don't actually have to follow the church calendar. The church calendar came in later. It helps us, it helps us follow worship it helps us stay on track and, and to celebrate that. But actually, what we're doing every Sunday is a celebration of resurrection. This is what's incredible about this. <laughs> if, if the application of this, the movement of what if we were to think about worship, gathered worship as they do, the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread, when they gathered, what they were doing was knowing that it's not just Jesus' teachings, it was the fact that he rose from the dead that sent them out. And his teachings go with them. But the event of him bursting forth from the grave, can you imagine if, if we were to think about, <laughs> instead of, oh well, Church is on Sunday, because that's just the day we have church. What if we were to shift our brains to realize the reason the church gathered on Sunday and the reason we are gathering on Sunday isn't because this is the traditional day we did it, but because we're actually celebrating every Sunday gathering to know that we live out and in the resurrected Jesus every week. 
And if you left these doors, not thinking your end of your week is Sunday, but the beginning of your week, the first day of your week is Sunday, not just because it's on a calendar and you can swipe it over or whatever on your iPhone, but because it marked the resurrection, how much would that transform the way that we go back out into this world? That you live in and through resurrection. When the church met, it was because of the event of the resurrection, it transformed everything. Think about going back to your work and thinking, resurrection has happened. I can go back to what I see in decay and despair and disarray in my life and my work and and my own self and know that every week is a marker showing me that Jesus has burst forth from the grave in physical form. And, 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 they, and it says here they, they gathered and they also to break bread, to layer it even more. They broke bread. Now, this is not necessarily what we typically think just here at this table. It actually included a little bit more because what they would do is what was called an agape feast or a love feast or a fellowship gathering. And then it would include what we know as the Lord's Supper. So they would begin with what was a fellowship gathering where they actually spent time, when it says breaking bread, it was all the above. They took time to share encouragement and care for each other over a meal. Intentional fellowship. Not just what we know is, hey, let's go have a, you know, a party at somebody's house and eat. But they actually would take time patterned after Jesus' words to love one another as I have loved you, and where it happened up in the upper room, to echo that out with each other. I remember, uh, and, and some of you may have heard me tell this story before, when I was a campus minister across the street at Vanderbilt, at the end of every year we would do a thing um, called senior night, and we would have our seniors um, gather in a room with everybody else at a home, And we would take a moment where everybody in the room got to look at the seniors and say to them a word of encouragement, a statement, a phrase. It could be one person. It could be the whole group. It could be what they modeled. And it was profound because you just don't do that kind of thing. We don't do that very much. And without fail, the word that rings in my ears every year after year after year was, I just feel full from this moment. This is what they were doing. They they were having a feast that they were being thankful for one another. And then right after that, they would be thankful and they would do what was called the Eucharist, which we know is the Lord's Supper within that. They'd be not only thankful for one another, but then they'd realize how thankful they were for the Lord Jesus who gave himself for them. They patterned it over and over, over. We, can't, we don't just gather and, and say encouragements and fellowship and, and, and good things for each other alone. We know that all those things come from someone who did this in and towards us. It was a celebration. What, and what do we celebrate when we come to this table? I'm, I'm getting there early, but what is it? We celebrate the Lord's death until he what? Comes again. And what is that space in between? Resurrection. Where do we live right now? It's not just the first day of the week that's pointing. When the church meets, we are celebrating resurrection. When we come to this table, we're celebrating resurrection. 
And then to think about this, and this is kind of the funny part, this is where Luke's humor kind of comes into play, (laughs) that Paul talked with him intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight, and he didn't just prolong it until midnight. Then imagine being in an upper room, the the lamps are in there, and they had unusually even mentions more than normal. There were many lamps, which... Luke wants us to know in verse 8, there were more lamps than normal, oil burning. It wasn't like in here where we could turn on the electricity. Imagine just the oil in the, in the room clouded. And they had open windows and such, but not enough. Uh, Eutychus, this young boy, is sitting in the window. He's probably getting the most fresh air as it is. He falls asleep, falls out the window. Guess what? Paul goes down. This incredible healing happens. What happens after that? Do they go home and depart? No, Paul goes back up, finishes his sermon till dawn. You think you have it bad with me. Think about this. Paul continues to preach, and then he says, he took communion. (laughs) Paul's like, oh yeah, we haven't finished the meal yet. What did they do? They gathered and heard the preaching and speaking. Now, Paul wasn't just preaching the entire time. He was teaching them. He was speaking to them, knowing that he probably would never see them again. But they were listening. They gathered, they ate, and they listened to the Lord in and through Paul, teaching them of what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean for them to live in and through the resurrection? What does it mean that the preaching isn't just about me staying up here for for a while and speaking? It's about Opening, opening up what God has done. <clears throat> opening up the word and proclaiming what is the church to be about. That we listen. That includes me. You may not know this, but during the week, I'm listening to other people's sermons a ton, just for my own nourishment. Just for my own help. <laughs> because I need it too. What does it mean for us to listen? It means that all these things, even the event that happens in between, is driving to the point. It's driving to the point of what is the church when it meets? What is the church about? What is it about? They met, it says in verse 8, in the upper room. This is an upper room similar to maybe where they gathered when, before Jesus has actually been arrested and betrayed. And they had all these oil lamps. And the moment of Eutychus, whose name, again, means fortunate or lucky, which commentators really love that one. They, they, the multiple commentators I picked up on, they were like, lucky? They just kept calling him lucky. They stopped calling him Eutychus. I was like, man, that, I don't know if that's funny or mean or what you're saying there, but that's where Luke is going. And in fact, as much as this is a difficult story, this boy falls out the window with the lamps and Paul going back to preaching and finishing. The pattern of this, why did they meet? What's the church about? What's the point of this whole like Seinfeldian kind of in between, guess what happened at our worship service today kind of thing? Why is this such a big deal? There are two major deals with this. Two major things. This is not a random healing. And the first one is that we need to know that that the church is about its connection to the whole of Scripture. It's not just some new thing. In fact, what we see happen with Paul is the young man Eutychus, verse 9, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Notice that Luke is sitting there. He knows how long Paul's talking. 
And becoming overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. That phrase and even the way that Paul goes down to, to meet with this boy and, and to hold him connects very much to what Luke draws out of the Old Testament over and over, even at the very beginning, of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. If over and over in First and Second Kings, there are some of these random events that just happen, where Elijah just meets a widow whose, whose son is sick and eventually he just loses his breath and dies a young child. And, and, and you read it and you go, why is, this in, why is this in the Old Testament? Is this just to show something? Or is this of greater importance? It was a sign to show of God's power. Just as then as now that these signs, these healings are not pointing to in and of themselves. And I think for some of us, we're like, wow, that's the biggest part of the worship service. For them, it actually wasn't. Notice this is why they went back up and finished the worship. It was a picture of what is worship about? What is the church about? About God's power. And if you look at in 1 Kings one seventeen, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 17.21, about the widow, it's both physical and spiritual. Is that Elijah is showing this widow who is surrounded with a kingdom that is telling her over and over that you need to live this way, that you need to be this way, that you're pushed, you're only in this, this kind of person because of this, your status in this land. Here's the God you're to worship, Baal, who was considered and ironically the husband of the, that land. And here's a widow whose son dies. And what is Elijah's purpose? To show her who is the one who really loves her. It doesn't say why. They don't know why her son dies. Elijah doesn't even express that. But what we see is God is different from any other God around them. That in any other way, notice, why are they meeting in an upper room and different than the way we are? Why can't we just go back and be like the first church? Well, they're hiding. You know, in fact, they were in persecution. So the first century church had to meet in areas like that. They had to meet up in those places. Because the surrounding powers around them, be them the government, or in any other way, we're telling them they needed to worship. Yeah, you can worship what you want to, but you need to worship everything else. This wasn't just any random healing. This is a resurrection taking place in the midst of everything else patterning itself about the resurrection. What is the church about? It's about resurrection. It's about us actually believing that if you take your arm and you feel it right now, which is a weird thing to do, or you press your toes down in your shoes and you feel for a moment that you're here physically, you will be raised from the dead with a new body that's not in decay, that doesn't hurt when you pinch it, that doesn't ache when you wake up in the morning, that doesn't have to worry about our loved ones or ourselves with cancer or any other illness. That there is a power that has come that we believe in, that the church is about. And we don't just meet on the first day of the week to, to celebrate it. We actually believe it. And if you think about what we were singing a minute ago, 
as Zach White led us. I really appreciate him being here this morning. That we talk about being raised from the dead. Have you ever actually, again, it's one of those moments, do we step back and actually go, does that sound kind of weird? Like if we were in a coffee shop or in a restaurant and we're sitting there talking about being raised from the dead out loud or on an airplane with strangers around us, would we feel like we're weird? And yet this is what the, this passage is driving at. Because what is the true one this is pointing to? Physically, spiritually, all of it. It's pointing to the Lord Jesus. As it says, he is the first fruits of the resurrection. That is real. That even death itself has someone mastering it. What we all fear, what we're all running from, what we're all trying to wind back in death. There's somebody who actually has the, the, the hand on the collar of, and it can't do anything. Jesus has mastered it. And here's how we know this boy actually died, and this isn't, he just fell and was kind of like hurt and then woke back up. Luke, as a doctor, is telling us he was taken up as dead. That is the Greek for he was dead. I was there. I'm a doctor. I didn't just sleep in a holiday inn. I'm a doctor. And guess what? They, what? Why would they, in verse 12, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted? Again, the way that Luke writes, not a little comforted, a lot comforted. Why would they be comforted? Because this, this healing, this incredible moment of resurrection in the midst of what the church is meeting for, it is about, it is the first fruits. You know, <clears throat> J.R. Tolkien used to talk about this as, and, and, and these moments in the Gospels and in Acts about these things. He used to call them the eucatastrophes. <laughs> you know, you hear the word catastrophe, and that's what it seems like happened. But he used to call the Gospels the eucatastrophe, E-U, catastrophe. In other words, a joyous turn is what he called it. He called it, in fact, a sudden joyous turn. It was like a jolt. It was like a, all of a sudden it just turns and you're like, are you kidding me? See, that's what the good news of the gospel is. It's a sudden joyous turn. It's a you catastrophe because it enters into history and space and time to turn us in a way we go, whoa. Of all the things that we're used to encountering, we're used to encountering catastrophe but for a sudden joyous turn, what the church is about is to know that this is the good news of the gospel, that resurrection is real. That all the decay, all the despair, all the death, all the difficulty that we experience really will be completely ended. This table in front of me is not a a joke. This is the same kind of meal that they took in the midst of a fellowship meal. And the reason that this meal is so such a massive thing for us, it's a joyous turn. When you actually taste this, you taste the wine and, and juice and the bread and crackers, what you're what you're actually tasting is a you catastrophe. This is the joyous turn. This is the fact that there's nothing else in all creation that has told us 
that I've got this. I've got death by the collar. All the things in your life that you know physically, tangibly, this is why the resurrection is not just a a good idea. It's a historical accuracy. And that Luke provides us narrative accounts that he even witnesses to say that you, you get a little taste of what Jesus is doing because one day when he does return, we will all rise, whether we are still walking or not. It will not matter. We will all rise. And our bodies and all the things we long for, all the ways that we wish to see things turn will turn. I I have to bring this up because it's on my heart and it totally set this in my mind. Last Easter, the week leading up to Easter, one of our very own, a woman named Mary McGrady passed away from cancer. She died of cancer after a long fight. Some of you may know that name, some of you may not. She was hardly ever here because she was battling with cancer from the beginning when she actually joined our church and I baptized her son who has special needs up here and then they had to leave right after because of her own fighting with germs. She had watched on camera with us the entire time. But you know she received a lot of meals from you, a lot of love, a lot of care, a lot of fellowship. She felt so encouraged and even her husband who, who's still wrestling with what the church is about and was curious himself about what, who are these people bringing these meals? And when she was dying that week, right leading up to Good Friday and Easter, and um, a couple of us got to go over there and, and actually serve her communion, got to read the, the scriptures to her and serve her, her last communion as she took literally her last breaths that next day. She tasted the, the reminder that everything that she was experiencing would be untrue. All of the decay of her body, all the fight that she had, she would not have to fight any longer. And one day, and it's not just a hope that it's a wish fulfillment, it's a hope that's planted firmly because the first fruits of Jesus rising, because when you taste this, as she tasted that, she was tasting her future the glorious resurrection, that the body and blood given for Jesus is now yours. And your body and blood, though may it see decay for now, when he returns, regardless of where you are in that timeline of life, and we don't know when he's coming back, but he will, we will all rise again. Evil will be done away with. Death will be finished. And as it says in Revelation, every tear will be wiped away from our eye. This is, you want to know what the church is about? This is what we're about. Do you think that's a glorious hope to to take with you as you leave? To not just come at the end of your week, but to leave here to begin your week? Amen to that. Let's stand together.